Welcome, future doctors, to another episode of the Future Minority Doctor Podcast with Dr. Sulma and Marina, where we bring you conversations to empower and inspire you to contribute to your community and the world by becoming a doctor. back future doctors it is that time of year again the time of year when the next medical school application cycle looms in the near future that's right the application cycle for most medical schools starts around may roughly so it's just around the corner now if you're planning to apply this next cycle this episode is a must for you please 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 i've seen people make so many mistakes on their primary application and i don't want that to be you In my years of mentoring and volunteering in medical schools, including some work in the past on an admissions committee, I have read many, many medical school applications, and I have seen many, many mistakes being made on those applications. I have seen the differences between stellar applications, mediocre applications, and poor applications. I've learned a lot, and I want to pass some of that wisdom onto you so that you can have the best possible chances of getting into medical school when it comes your turn to apply. Dr. Z, you want our listeners to succeed too, right? 100%. Yes. So let's run through real quick, just to give you a a format of what we're going through. Let's run through the 10 most common mistakes people make on their primary applications, and then we'll dive into each one. Number one, rushing your application. Number two, applying late. Number three, not explaining clearly why you want to be a doctor. Number four, leaving big gaps in your story. Number five, not making use of the disadvantage statement, if that applies to you. Number six, listing too few activities in your activities or experiences section. Number seven, not having enough clinical experience. Number eight, telling instead of showing. And I'll explain that, of course. Number nine, exuding arrogance or overconfidence. And finally, number 10, not asking for help. Okay. So did you make mistakes on your application, Dr. Z, looking back, knowing what you know now? Oh, yes, definitely. I I was, I would say I applied late. And I Mm -hmm. think it resulted in a lot of waitlisting. And so Mm -hmm. I thought about afterwards, obviously, my mistake was if I would have applied early, perhaps I would have gone into a medical school. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's true. Now, you know, now we know, looking back, hindsight is 2020, as they say. (laughs) Okay, mistake number one, rushing your application. This doesn't take too much explaining. Don't rush your application. Give yourself plenty of time to write your personal statement, draft your activities, ask for feedback, edit, ask for feedback and edit again. We're talking a few months, ideally, like three months at least. Don't procrastinate. A rushed application is 99% of the time a less than stellar application. And you want to be stellar, so please don't rush it. Remember, the application asks for a lot. If you're applying to MD schools through AMCAS, you have to write a one-page or 5,300-character essay explaining why you want to be a doctor. You have to write up to 15 activity descriptions, which are about 700 characters each. And for three of those activities, you have to write a longer description of your most meaningful activities, which gives you even more characters. And then you also have the option of writing a disadvantage statement and a few other short essays if they apply to you. 
Now, if you're applying to a DO medical school or through the Texas medical school application system, the requirements are very similar, though some of the character counts for the activities are shorter compared to AMCAS. Dr. Z, how long did you give yourself to prepare and edit your application to medical school? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, don't, I can't remember specifically, but I remember it was several months because I did a lot of editing. So it was at one, it was several months that I do uh-huh. recall. Yeah, exactly. Ideally, I tell people you should start writing and drafting your personal statement in January mm-hmm. <laughs> because it just takes a lot of, you know, thinking through and sometimes you you have trouble coming up with something or you write a first draft and it's not good. So you have to write another draft. So give yeah. yourself plenty of time. And remember part of the process is also asking for letters of recommendation and you have to give your letter writers time as well. We have a separate episode on that. Yeah. And, and then also just because you want someone to edit and look at it, you want another set of eyes. You also have to give that person time as well. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you have one, at least like two other people kind of giving you feedback on it. So giving them time as well to look over what you write. Exactly. Absolutely. And then that, of course, takes us to mistake number two, applying late. <laughs> so if you start late, you're probably going to end up submitting your application late because as we mentioned, it takes time. Writing, editing, polishing your application is one thing, but submitting it is another. Generally speaking, you raise your chances of being considered by schools if you apply early in late May, June, or July at the latest. Applying later than July is still possible, but it's not a great idea. I have heard of students who applied late getting acceptances, but they were generally really strong candidates. So if you're worried that you're not necessarily the strongest candidate, then please get your application in early. A lot of schools have what's called rolling admissions. So, you know, they read them in order of what they receive. And so if you submit it late, then maybe like all of the interview spots are already taken. Or maybe by the time you interview, then a lot of the seats in the medical school have already been occupied. And so you just reduce your chances. It kind of gets, in a sense, it gets more competitive the further you go along because those interview slots and those seats may already be almost full or full. I think I was slightly behind when I applied. I think I applied maybe like the middle of July or so, but it still worked out. You know, again, by July is still okay. But really, if you want to be extra sure, apply early in June. What about you, Dr. Z? Yeah, I was a late applicant and I think it was driven by getting the MCAT score later. I had like all the personal statements, so I had been working on those. So I started those early, but once I got my MCAT score, it had been more later in the process. So I, I was a late applicant. And again, I got a, a wait listed on a couple of medical schools. And I think uh-huh. I would have maybe at least from all of those wait listed, if I would have been an early applicant, perhaps I might have been accepted to at least uh-huh. one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So again, it doesn't mean you don't have a chance, but again, those available slots in the class may be less. So in theory, you could end up on the wait list instead of accepted, even if they really like you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mistake number three, not explaining clearly why you want to be a doctor. When an admissions committee is reviewing your application, it has to be clear to them why you want to go to medical school, why you want to be a doctor why you want to sacrifice the next seven to 10 years of your life to enter this profession. If you are not crystal clear about this, your chances of getting accepted will suffer. There is no doubt about it in my mind from what I've seen. (laughs) The major way you will communicate your why is through your personal statement, or as they call it, personal comments section. 
it is essential that you figure out a way to tell a story about why you want to be a doctor. Tell the committee your story about when that seed of wanting to be a doctor was planted and how it grew and evolved over time. And make your story interesting. Make it compelling. And also keep it believable and genuine. Now, I know this is not an easy task. I remember actually sitting down to write my personal statement, just staring at a blank screen in front of me for a long time. I had no idea where to even start. I knew that I definitely wanted to be a doctor. I had no doubt about that. And I had worked really hard. I had made sacrifices to be prepared to apply. But suddenly having to put my story and my motivation and what was in my heart into words was not easy. In fact, my first draft was pretty bad. It was a total fail. (laughs) So I had to write it all over again. And luckily, the second attempt was much better. But I still had many people look at it to provide feedback and suggestions. And in fact, it was an advisor at the pre-med advising office. She had worked on an admissions committee before. And she's the one who read my first draft and told me, you have to do it again. (laughs) This is not This is not good enough. And she gave me the specific reasons and they were good reasons. So I went back to the drawing board and I did it again. What about you, Dr. Z? Did you struggle with articulating your why for medicine in your application? Yeah, very similar. I remember when I spent all this time to write the first draft and uh, a friend of mine that was in medical school already, I had her read it first and she read it and she was like a quick no. (laughs) She said, this sounds so generic. And she said, I know you, this doesn't show me why you're doing what you're doing. And she goes, I think you have to totally rewrite it. And so uh, it was a little bit painful, but I was like, all right. And I came up with the second one was so much better, but that's why it's so important for you to have someone else read it. Exactly, exactly. Because it can sound amazing to you. I thought my first draft was great. (laughs) But it wasn't until someone read it that I realized, okay, it's not as great as I thought it was. Yeah. Okay, if you haven't listened to episode 38 on writing a great personal statement, please go listen to that soon. That episode goes into a lot more detail of how to articulate or why for medicine in your application and specifically through your personal comments section. Okay, mistake number four, leaving big gaps or unexplained factors in your application. When a member of the admissions team is reviewing your application, they are trying to understand the story of you. Where did you come from? What have been some of your seminal or defining life experiences? What motivates you? How have you evolved as a person? And what attributes will you bring to the medical profession? Now, obviously, you can't like literally write out a timeline of your life in your application. Although, interestingly, the Texas medical system does have it more of a like chronology, but in the AMCAS, it doesn't really. So you can't usually just write out a timeline and you don't want to make your personal statement just your life story, but you do want to make sure that someone reading your application gets a clear sense of your story and that general timeline of your life. Was there anything notable about where you grew up? about your family? Or was there something that happened to you when you were young that was important in developing your reason to want to be a doctor? Where did you go to college and how did you grow and develop during your college years? And if you already graduated, what have you been doing since graduation? If you have a family, how did that evolve? Is that important in your motivation to go to medicine? So things like that. Sometimes I see applicants who you know, are not especially non-traditional applicants, and they have these gaps. And part of me is left wondering, like, wait, what happened during these years? Like, are you 
is it something you don't want to talk about? Did you have a particular challenge? Like, don't leave big gaps, right? If you were a different person that didn't know your own story, would there be questions left, right? So, so don't do that. Dr. Z, I'm curious, what things about your pre-college days or your post-college days, since you had some gap years, did you include or do you think were important as part of your story and your application? Yeah, so pre-college days, I included a lot about my background being a disadvantaged student. So I was pretty detailed with that part, just like about my parents' education, where I came from financially, um, those struggles that I had as well. And then post-college days, since I had a pretty large gap years, I should say, I kept myself busy during those gap years working, but I was working in um, positions that would help make my application stronger. So I included everything that was there. So it was like back to back to back. I think maybe I had a month off in between those jobs. And then that's where I I used it to study for the MCAT or if I did an internship or whatever it was. So I kept it pretty busy so that within that gap, I can explain what I was doing throughout that time. Yeah, that's good. You know, you gave the admissions committee like all the pieces of the puzzle, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) To put together. So telling your whole story, like I mentioned, is especially important for non-traditional applicants or anyone who has a big gap in their education or career. For example, if you had a career as a teacher for a few years before you decided to go to medical school, please tell me about it. Tell me in your personal statement why you decided to make that switch from teaching to medicine. Then list in your activities, you know, teaching as an activity and tell me more about what that experience was like, what it taught you, how you grew from it, etc. If you have applied multiple times to medical school, show me that you've worked to improve your experiences and qualifications over time. Tell me that story of your evolution. Or, you know, for example, if you were in the military for a while, tell me about your military experiences and how you have evolved through those experiences, how they've given you some attributes that will help to make you a a good physician or how they affected your motivation to suddenly switch tracks and go to medicine, right? I've read some applications, like I mentioned, where I'm just left scratching my head a bit. I'm left confused. For example, if they graduated from college five years ago, and then they only have two activities listed in those five years, I'm kind of wondering, like, what were they doing all that time? Or geography matters sometimes. If someone was born and raised in one area, and then they moved to a different area, part of me, just, you know, natural curiosity wants to know, why did you make that move? How is that part of your story? And are you committed to staying and serving in that new community? Or, you know, do you eventually want to go back? If someone says that they had to work through college, I want to know what kind of work they did, right? It's part of your story. Some of these examples aren't necessarily need to know questions, but it's natural for someone reading about you to want to connect the major dots of your life story. And if you don't give them enough dots to connect, they might be left confused about who you are as a person and your motivations for medicine. So please tell a clear story and don't leave your reader with major questions. Okay, mistake number five, not making use of the disadvantage statement. And this really connects to mistake number four about telling your story. If you have faced unique challenges in your life, including but not limited to poverty, living in an underserved community, speaking a language other than English, family illness or personal illness, 
divorce, domestic violence, frequent moves, homelessness, immigration, lack of quality education, needing to work a lot to support your family or yourself through college, or anything else that might have put you at a significant disadvantage in your life and in your education, then please consider writing a disadvantage statement. It's completely up to you, but it can give you an extra opportunity to explain some of the unique obstacles you've faced and how you have worked to overcome them. Many admissions committees take into consideration the so-called distance you have traveled in your life as a marker of potential and as a marker of the resilience that you've developed. So if you feel you have had to overcome more than most pre-medical students, please take the time to write about it. Just be careful not to be too negative, but be honest and reflective. Talk about how you have grown through those experiences. We will have an episode specifically on this topic in the near future. Dr. Z, did you write a disadvantage statement? I know I did. Did you? Yeah, I did. I mean, everything you said, almost everything you said applied to me from what you just mentioned. So yeah, I definitely did. And yeah, it's not, you know, some students, I feel like they're like, oh, I don't want them to think, oh, poor me. It's not that. It's more so it shows how far you've come, that resiliency, and it makes you more human and more personable. So I felt like I think it helped. And even within the conversations that I had during my interviews, they were a little bit deeper with some of the interviewers as well. So I think if you you do fall into this category, definitely take advantage of it because it does show how far along you have come and how hard you've worked. Yeah. And I think, you know, thankfully, a lot more medical schools are taking this holistic approach to admissions, and they're trying to consider the whole person, not just your MCAT score, not just your grades, right? And they want to know about what you bring to the profession of medicine. Your experiences, your life experiences, your background can have a lot to do with what you bring to the profession, right? For example, you know, here in Utah, there are a lot of rural communities, right? We need doctors who are going to serve those rural communities. These are small towns out in the, you know, the middle of nowhere, but people there need medical care just like anybody else. And so if someone comes from a rural background, they grew up in a small town, they probably faced challenges because they grew up in a small town. They didn't have maybe a great educational system or their parents maybe didn't make a lot of money because they were farmers or something like that, right? But those experiences are valuable because then they come to medical school and that person that came from that community is more likely to care about going back and serving that community, right? And so just like that, any life experience is going to help inform the type of doctor that you become and the type of service that you give to people in, in, in this country or elsewhere. So admissions committees are starting to care more and more about that. They've all, I think they always have, <laughs> but it's becoming more of a priority to have doctors who reflect the population that they serve because they can understand and they can connect with patients better. And I think they also teach their colleagues as well. And I think the best education is when you get to know someone and you'll, you'll get fellow medical students, or when you're even practicing, come to you to ask you about certain scenarios just to get your opinion how to go about doing things because your colleague or your med school friend knows you've been through it. <laughs> exactly. Moving on to mistake number six, listing too few activities. <laughs> okay. So the AMCAS application, which is for the MD schools, allows you to list up to 15 activities. 
The AA CoMass application for DO medical schools allows you to list as many as you want. And similarly, the TMDSAS Texas medical school system allows you to list as many as you want. Now, in my opinion, the AMCAS limit of 15 sort of sets the bar for roughly how many activities you want to list on your application. For any application, I strongly, strongly recommend you aim for 15 activities. So if you're applying through AMCAS, use all of the activities you have. But, you know, sometimes that can be hard. (laughs) Maybe you really like search and search in your mind, what have I done? And you can't come up with 15. Do at least 12, please. If you have less than 12 activities listed, you will likely be viewed as a weaker candidate when viewed alongside many other candidates who have 15 activities listed. So keep that in mind. No matter how strong the experiences you have listed are, sometimes that number matters more than perhaps it should. Now remember, you can include a lot of things in these activities or experiences as the AA Comas calls them. So think about the following and what you've done within these domains. Volunteer activities, research activities, any like research time, projects or jobs that you've had in research that could be bench research or clinical research, clinical jobs or clinical shadowing that can include working as a scribe, working at a free clinic, your shadowing experiences. Any non-clinical jobs that you've had. So if you were a waitress for a while, if you you know worked in construction or if you did anything non-clinical, you can list that work experience as well. Awards that you have received. I recommend including all awards in one activity if you have multiple publications, capstone projects or senior theses, conferences you attended, particularly if you presented at the conference. Participation in college sports is a big one, a significant one. And hobbies. Although I recommend limiting this to one, maybe two at the most activities, just to show an extra dimension of you as a person. For example, if you love running, you can list running. If you love skiing, you can list skiing. If you love sewing, you can just kind of, it gives like an extra dimension, but it shouldn't take up that much space because you want to use most of your activities as like, okay, this is work that I've done. This is targeted work and experience that I've gained. You want to impress the committee, right? Okay, so you may have to rack your brain a bit to remember everything that you've done, but don't skimp on this section. Give yourself credit for everything that you've done. Remember, this is the time to show off. And for a lot of us, showing off is not something we've done before. It can be difficult, but you have to make yourself shine. I want to add, though, be careful not to list things that were really short or superficial. For example, I've seen some applications where you list like five hours at a soup kitchen or five hours at a shelter or three hours somewhere. If you have a lot of small one-time activities, you can list them all together under one activity. For example, call it community volunteering and then just kind of list like soup kitchen, animal shelter, homeless shelter, that kind of stuff. But if you have longer activities like, oh, you did 80 hours at a homeless shelter or in hospice, then yes, list that as its own activity. Um, Also with shadowing, don't list five different shadowing experiences for the five different doctors. List shadowing all in one activity. And then in the description, you can say more about the different types of doctors you shadowed or what you learned. I hope that we'll have a whole episode soon with more details on writing your activity descriptions. So check back soon. Any thoughts about that, Dr. Z? Yeah, I like how you presented like the, you know, like kind of if you're doing shadowing to just put it all in one section versus because sometimes you'll only do a couple hours here and then 
and you yeah. don't want to use that. But really, take the time to to put in everything, and um, that's why it's so important. I mean, if you're not at the point where you're applying, but maybe you're a freshman or sophomore in college, mm-hmm. get a journal, or get a book where you're documenting all of these activities you're doing. So then that way, it's easier for you to recall all of this and really make a timeline of your life, kind of like you would with a resume. From this uh-huh. time to this time, I did this. It just helps it flow better, and it's more organized too. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Moving on to mistake number seven, not having enough clinical experience. We talked about this in episode 47 called, Am I Ready to Apply to Medical School? But I'll reiterate it here. You have to show that you've had enough clinical experiences to understand what you're getting into. Do you know what a doctor does day in and day out? Do you understand the good parts and the challenges of being a physician? Do you understand why many physicians experience burnout these days? Shadowing two to three doctors for one or two days each just doesn't cut it anymore. It did probably back when Dr. Z and I applied, (laughs) to be honest, but it's usually not enough nowadays. You have to have something else, either a few different clinical activities or one substantial clinical activity that puts you in direct contact with patients and physicians. For example, you can volunteer at a free clinic for 60 hours, plus be a hospice volunteer for 50 hours, plus go on a week-long medical mission trip for 40 hours. And all of those together would show a decent amount of clinical experience and clinical exposure. Or you could have one long experience, like you could work as a medical assistant or a hospital phlebotomist for a few months or more and rack up a lot of clinical hours. I've seen applicants who have over a thousand hours of work as a medical assistant or scribe because that was their job for a year or more. Those are great experiences. They're not the only ways to get the clinical exposure you need. There are many ways, but just find something that shows an adequate amount. And also, you know, this, this shows when you do your interviews, you may get questions asking about things like, what do you think are the challenges of the medical profession or something about burnout or something along those lines, you might get asked. And if you have not had enough clinical experience, if you have not worked next to physicians enough, you're going to struggle with those questions. You're going to come off as kind of naive about what you're getting into. And also when you're shadowing, because shadowing is still important in addition to those other experiences, ask the doctors, like, what do you like about your job? What don't you like about your job? You need to understand what you're getting into because this is not for the faint of heart, right? We want you guys to become physicians, but we also want you to understand what you're getting into so that halfway through medical school, you don't look around and say, what am I doing here? This is not what I want, right? Anything to add, Dr. Z? No, I agree. It just, I think it shows commitment to the profession. If you have a lot of clinical experience, because like Dr. Marina said, you know what you're getting into. And especially what she said towards the end about it really helps with the interviewing because a lot of those questions you're going to get, basically it's about like, how much do you know about what being a doctor is like? So these clinical experiences will make it so much easier for you to be able to answer those questions. Again, it's showing the commitment. And then I think most importantly, this part is really what's going to help you when it comes to the interviews. And it's going to be so much easier to be able to answer a lot of those questions you're going to get. Definitely. Okay. Mistake number eight, telling instead of showing. 
I've said previously that you, of course, need to tell your story. I keep using that term, tell your story. But what I really mean is that you need to show me your story. And I'll explain what that means. You need to recount stories and experiences that show me that you have what it takes intellectually and emotionally to be a good doctor. Let me give you an example. Say that you're writing one of your activity or experience descriptions about working as a medical scribe in a doctor's office. Which of these descriptions sounds better to you? The first version is this. I assisted Dr. Anbar in completing medical documentation for 20 to 30 patients per day in his pulmonology clinic. I demonstrated proficiency with medical terminology and efficiency in working with the electronic health record. I learned the importance of empathic communication between doctor and patient. So that's version one. Then listen to this version two. The first time I walked into Dr. Anbar's pulmonology clinic as a new medical scribe, I felt overwhelmed. I struggled to recall medical terminology and keep up with documenting each patient's history and plan, especially on busy days when he saw up to 30 patients. It took time, but with each shift, my grasp of the terminology improved and I could get through each note faster. I saw how much people appreciated that he could take the time to speak to them face-to-face instead of standing behind a computer screen. Almost every patient, healthy or ill, left his office with a smile and a sincere thank you. Which one tells a better story, right? Which one shows a better story specifically? Dr. Zhu, what do you think? Definitely the second one. (laughs) So this is what I see a lot, right? So in that first example, it's technical. It's kind of boring. Yeah, it tells me what you did, but like it's not showing me, right? So for example, it tells me that you demonstrated proficiency with medical terminology and quote, learned the importance of empathic communication but it doesn't show me. Notice how the second version, I can actually picture you in the clinic. I can picture your experience in my mind. The second one also comes off as more human. You're not just a robot doing and learning these things. You're a real person learning and growing from an experience. So that's what I mean by showing, not telling. And that's what you want to try to do as much as possible through your personal statement, your activities, your whole application. Anything to add, Dr. Z? It's just, I think it's just really connecting the reader to your experience. And I think in just listening to the second example that Dr. Marina um, gave, say, I am the interviewer, just by reading it, it's relatable because you get it. And that's what it's showing because that's what a doctor feels as well. So I think it's just, it's a lot more personable. Exactly. So yeah, I see a lot of people trying to use sort of buzzwords. Like, oh, I learned empathy. Well, don't tell me you learned empathy. (laughs) Tell me a story. You don't even have to use the word empathy. The story tells me that you learned empathy, right? Don't tell me good communication. Show me good communication. Tell a story where I don't even have to read the words good communication, but I know that that's what it is. So that's what we mean when we when we say show, don't tell. And this is difficult. It takes practice. (laughs) It takes feedback. It takes editing. This does not come naturally to most people. So again, it goes back to our earlier mistakes. (laughs) Give yourself time. All right, mistake number nine, exuding arrogance or overconfidence. This is a tricky one, but I have to mention it because it can really send an application straight into the reject pile. Stay humble in writing your application. Try not to come across like you are the smartest person on earth 
because you have an excellent GPA and MCAT score and have done all the things that show that you are amazing. Now you are amazing, but part of being an amazing applicant is being humble and teachable. Faculty members at the medical school, no matter where you're going, do not want students who think that they already know it all. Don't be that applicant. Now, sometimes it can be hard to see for yourself if you come across as arrogant or overconfident. This is why it's important to have other people review your application. Feel free to ask them as part of the feedback process if they think you come across this way. Ask them to be brutally honest. That's how you're going to know. The same lesson applies to interviews, by the way. You can doctor your primary and secondary applications all you want, but if you come across as arrogant in an interview, it can be a huge red flag. What do you think, Dr. Z? Have you seen that before or seen people make mistakes in this particular domain? Yeah, um, I've never been on an admissions committee, but I can definitely see this coming across in some students uh-huh. <laughs> or even just, you know, it's interesting because even when there's undergraduate students that reach out to me via email uh-huh. to ask if they can shadow me, you can tell a lot as well, whether like the student's arrogant or not. And if they sound like this, I don't want them to come shadow me, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so it's it's really important to stay humble. All of you are smart. We know that. That's why you're pursuing this. Mm-hmm. But be really humble and, and like Dr. Marina said, teachable because you will never know everything. And even as a practicing physician, you still won't know everything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it really comes across easily. So mm-hmm. be really careful. Practice. If this is something you struggle with, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't be a doctor, but you know, you have to maybe like bring yourself down a level when you're working with other people, right? And then finally, mistake number 10, not asking for help. Please, please, please ask for help. Nobody gets to medical school completely on their own. Reach out to physicians that you have shadowed, your pre-medical advising office, your mentors, maybe your friends, parents, or anyone else that you think you can trust to help you edit and revise your application. It can make a world of difference for your chances of getting accepted. Trust us. We did not do it all alone and neither should you. And by the way, there's an episode on this called Asking for Help. So if you struggle with this, go back and listen to that because we struggled with this a lot. I think that sometimes we tend to think that it makes us stronger to somehow show that we can do things alone. Lots of us maybe have family members that didn't have support and had to figure out how to get by on their own out of necessity. We admire them for their strength. And in doing so, we can even come to view that fierce independence as a sign of strength and something to admire. But you already know that you're strong. You don't have to prove it to anyone. Asking for help. And creating a network of people who support you will only magnify your strength and your ability to do great things in this world. Dr. Z, would you agree with that? And also, who was your network of support? Yeah, I had a network of support, I think, throughout the entire um, process. When it came to applying to medical school, I, I had so many because I had some doctors that I would reach out to to ask my friends that were editing, I had three friends that were really good with writing that would help or revise it. So you need that network and really just being vulnerable to asking for help. I think sometimes too, uh, especially if you're going to be the first doctor in your family, you likely have that role in your family that you are that strong, resilient one. Mm -hmm. So you've kind of been built that way because 
your entire family and it can be extended family sees like that is the go-to person because that go-to person never breaks, uh-huh. you know, they, they can do it all. Yeah. And when you get to the actual uh, medical process, medical school process, you can't be that person. You know, it worked well maybe with your family, but with this process, you need to ask for help because I think everyone who makes it through has had a network of people to help them along the way. Definitely, definitely. Yes. And I, in fact, looking back at myself, I did get help. My husband's mom was an editor, really good writer. (laughs) So she helped me, you know, to really polish up my essays. And then I mentioned the pre-medical advisor who helped and I had a mentor as well. But I could have asked for more help. I, I really waited until the last minute to be like, okay, I've done everything I can do. And here, more with the expectation of, please tell me it's good. Right. <laughs> and then when that didn't happen, I was like, okay, I have to go back to the drawing board. It's more work than you think, like we've already said. Right. But speaking of um, getting help, we have an application coaching program starting up again this year that can help guide you through the entire application process. This program is a nine month long program that includes one on one help with editing your personal statement and activities, as well as your secondary essays when that time comes. It also includes one-on-one and group coaching to help you prepare to rock your interviews. For more information, please visit our website at futureminoritydoctor.com. Look under the resources tab for application coaching program, and we will also have a link to it on our homepage when applications are open. We hope to continue expanding this program in the coming years. Our application will open up around March or April. So stay tuned for that. And if you don't already follow us on social media, please do that so you can stay informed of this and other opportunities for help. Okay, that was a lot. (laughs) I hope this was helpful. Again, application season is around the corner. Please utilize all of your resources. Ask for help. Listen to this episode. Don't make these mistakes if at all possible. For those of you applying this year, we send you our best wishes and we look forward to calling you doctor someday. Until next time. Peace and love.